you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Bethel, as, as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, uh, we've been talking about um, what it feels like to feel... Um, like we finally have enough, what it means to find enough in our lives. Because um, there are kind of these two ways that we look at the world. Um, oftentimes, we, we zero in and focus on the things that we don't have, uh, the things that we desperately need, uh, the things that maybe we don't really need, but like we really, really want, <laughs> the things that we, uh, we think we need, but maybe we don't need. We, we zero in our focus so much on those things that our world begins to be shaped by scarcity. We, we find ourselves looking uh, at life as... Um, and the world that God has made is a place where there's never enough. Um, we're never getting paid enough. Um, we never have enough time during the week to do the things that we want to do. We never uh, have enough in the relationships that we have. And, and oftentimes when we start focusing in on the things that we don't have, we just um, find ourselves living in this scarcity world. And we've been talking about the difference between uh, that scarcity mindset when it comes to to looking at human life and what the Bible says about human life. Um, and the Bible makes this, this claim uh, uh, all throughout Scripture. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around and to really believe in our lives. But, but the Bible claims that God made the world and he called it good. Uh, and, the, and the Bible claims that um, it's actually the world that we live in is, is positively packed full of life, abundance, and, and whatever we might need. Uh, the Bible claims that not only is there more than enough for people, but there's more than enough in God's creation that even ugly birds like ravens find food to eat. There's so much in God's creation that even uh, beaut there's beautiful wildflowers in the middle of forests and fields that no human being will ever see that'll pass away in a wildfire tomorrow. But there's so much life and beauty in God's world that if you look under every rock and in every crack, there's something else. The Bible argues that creation is overabundant, uh, that it's bursting with good and life. And it's only, and this is the Bible's claim, it's only when we start, uh, when human beings come on the scene and we start looking for scarcity and we start hoarding God's creation to ourselves that we start to run into problems as, as creatures. The, the Bible teaches there really is enough, that God really does care for us. And that God really is the one that sustains us. Um, the Bible teaches that we can trust God to hold on to us both now and, and forever. Um, the way I think about it, the Bible says when it comes to life, um, the world is like an all-day birthday party at Pizza Ranch. Like, no matter how many times you come up to that table, there's always more pizza the next time. According to the Bible, the world is like fishing in a stocked pond. Those fish don't know any better. You throw anything in the water and they bite like that. According to God, the world is like your grandma's Christmas cookies. Every time you come to get more, it seems like there's more cookies out there than the last time you came. The Bible argues that God is a father and we are his children. And we can trust him to provide for the things that we need. And as great as that sounds, 
And as much as we say that and read that in Scripture and want to believe that, um, there's this other thing in our lives, right? There's this voice in in our heads uh, that says, well, if I stop uh, striving after these things, if I stop trying to make sure I have enough, will God really hold on to me? If I give up the fight of making sure that I'm getting those things that I think I need, will God really hold on to me? Or will I miss out on good stuff? Um, if I stop striving after uh, these things and looking for scarcity, will others get ahead of me? And this little voice in our head, God says the world is abundant. So this voice in our head says, but others are getting ahead of me. Others have more. There's this voice inside our head that says, oh, maybe you have enough now, but just wait. There's this voice inside your head that says, can I really trust God to hold on to me? Or um, am I not going to have a, a valuable life if I do that? Will God really take care of me? And And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Genesis, because in the book of Genesis, uh, there are tons of examples of people um, trying to grab a little bit more out of the scarce world that they perceive and and where it leads them. It's it's full of people trying to get a little bit more. Uh, Where abundance says God provides enough for us, that God gives us our identity, we find ourselves saying, um, no, I, I am what I have, or I am what I do, or, or what people think. And uh, our last, uh, our story this week in Genesis 11 is a story about a, a group of people who take all the things that they have. Uh, they, they sit down and they, they tally all the things that they have, and they pull it all together in a community, and they use these things to make sure that their lives matter. Um, Because they're not convinced that God uh, can take care of them or desires to take care of them. So they pool their resources uh, to make sure that they're remembered, to make sure that they matter, to make a name for themselves. And we'll we'll get to that. So a little bit of background to to Genesis chapter 11. Um, If you're like me and you grew up hearing these stories, you you know a lot of these stories in Genesis, but you don't realize that they maybe fit together. Um, and so a little bit of background. The thing that happened right before this story is uh, the world got so full of, of evil uh, that every person on earth was evil from birth, and there was this terrible flood, and it's, a, it's worth uh, reading all on its own. We don't have time to talk about it today, but God starts over creation right before Genesis 11. Uh, he saves a human being and his family, and he says, okay, it didn't work out the first time. This time, we're going to get it right. And so as the people step off of this ark um, with, the, with the animals, um, God repeats to uh, Noah and his family uh, the same command and blessing that he gives to Adam and Eve all the way back on the second page of Genesis. He, he tells them again, he repeats the purpose of all uh, humankind. In chapter 9, verse 1, um, God says to Noah and his family, first he says, I'll never flood the earth again. And then he says, now go and fill the earth and rule over it. And he's echoing um, very beginning Genesis 2, what he tells Adam and Eve. Um, Genesis 2, God says, Adam and Eve, you are human beings. You are male and female. You're made in my image. Now go and fill the earth and rule over it. Uh, so if you believe uh, the beginning of Genesis, that's the, the purpose of human life is to be God's image, his name ruling over God's creation. And so things didn't go so well. And so God's trying again with Noah and his kids. He says, okay, 
Let's, let's try this again. You're made in my image. Now go and fill the earth with people, with people in my image and, and rule over it. Um, so that's the background. Uh, but then we get, to the, we get to the story. Oh, there you go. Purpose. Fill the earth. Yep. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 starts like this. So now the whole world had a one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. Now, if you don't uh, know the rest of the story, um, you might miss this, but, but here we are, right? God's chosen people, the new Adam and Eve, starting over with creation, ruling it in a good way on God's behalf. Um, God blesses them and he sends them out with this divine purpose, right? To fill the earth. And it says they set out and they move eastward and they settle. Uh, they set out and they do the exact opposite of what God asks them to do. Um, it's the exact opposite. Immediately they go, they walk a little ways east and they stop. Uh, God said, go and fill on the last page. But they go and they stop and they, and they clump together and they say to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Uh, they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Um, uh, in, in this day, bricks were like the internet of, of this time. They were cutting edge technology, okay? Um, bricks changed the world. Uh, look, look it up. You'll find all kinds of interesting things about how important bricks are. But, so they took uh, this amazing technology, the baked brick, and they stopped and then they said, um, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Uh, so just a little update. They've gathered everything they have. All the people on earth have come together under one language. They're using their cutting edge technology, the brick. Seriously, the brick. Uh, unprecedented cooperation. All of their strength and intelligence and creativity come together and effort and skill, and they use it uh, to build this massive city. Uh, and, and this tower, it says that in, in Genesis, it says it reaches to the heavens. Uh, so again, just uh, to understand where we're at, right after God promises to never flood the earth, and right after he sends human beings to fill the earth up and rule over it on his behalf, the first thing human beings do is stop and build the tallest structure they possibly can. Uh, the way the, the ancient uh, readers of the Bible understood the world is that the heavens, you couldn't get through them. They were a, a roof, like a literal roof. So they tried uh, to build a tower to get to the roof of, of the world. And of course, the question is why. But fortunately for us, they answer that for us in the, the end of that verse. This is why they say, so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So two parts, to make a name so that they won't be scattered. They pool all of their resources, every gift that God has given them, all their intelligence, all their ability, all their strength, and they use it to explicitly resist God's purpose for them. They pool their resources to reject the name that God has for them and the plan that God has for them and uh, so that they can make their own name. God says, go and be scattered and fill the earth. And they say, we're doing this so that we won't be scattered. Uh, and the story continues. Um, if you read chapter 11, it's sort of built like a tower. This is the top of the tower. And then uh, the things that come down sort of match the things that the people did. Uh, so God comes on the scene. 
And just like they built a tower up, um, it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've started to do this, if they've rejected their call as one people, then nothing they choose to do will be impossible for them. When God sees what they're doing with the gifts that he's given them, with the blessing that he's given them, how instead of using those things to fill up the earth and rule on his behalf, they're using them to clump together and make their own name. He, he steps in uh, and he pulls the rug out from under them. Um, uh, verse 7, come, this is God talking. Uh, they built up, God goes down and he says, come, let us go down. And confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. They stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel. uh, Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Um, So even though uh, they cooperated better than anybody uh, maybe in, in history, even though they all shared one language, even though they pooled all their resources, they still wind up scattered just as they feared. Um, and the name that they make for themselves, Babel, right? Um, it becomes a, a synonym not for order or cooperation or success, but instead for confusion, And what the Bible's trying to tell us here, that as their building project fails because God uh, changed just one small thing, they wind up uh, scattered just as they feared. And and that name has a different meaning because despite all their technology, uh, despite the Facebook of the old world, their wealth and skills and cooperation Um, the control that they thought they had over their lives is an illusion. That's what uh, the Bible's trying to teach us here. Any moment, something can happen, and it might be God confusing their language, or, or in the ancient world, it could have been an illness, it could have been a rival empire. At any moment, something can happen that undoes all of their good work. And, and if you, I've been listening to some history about ancient cities. And if you learn anything about ancient cities and what happens to them, uh, this happens over and over again. Things go really, really great for a while and then something comes in and messes it up and it falls apart. And places that people thought would exist forever are abandoned and empty. The, The Bible argues that this is the story of human life. That when we use our our success or our stuff or our status or our strength to build our own name, it ends in failure eventually. When we base our values on those things, it becomes very clear that we don't have quite as much control over those things as we think we do. A recession can come in and wipe out our savings. A mistake can destroy our reputation like that. An illness uh, can eliminate the health that we thought we have. We all know somebody that eats perfectly and works out every day and still for some reason that nobody can understand has has a heart attack because no matter what we do, um, those things aren't strong enough to create a name for ourselves. Because when you try and use God's gifts to make your own name, it it always ends in failure. Uh, that's what the story of Babel's trying to teach us. Because if you believe scripture, we're not 
as responsible for our own success as we think we are. Um, if you believe scripture, we're not really our own makers. Um, the Bible teaches that everything we have is a gift from God. A gift meant to be used to bless others in his name rather than making our own. And while, of course, we have power over how our lives turn out, we can make better choices, we can experience better things, uh, the Bible teaches that um, our abilities, our skills, our success that comes from that, our, our good uh, work ethic, our strength, our brains, and how smart we are, all those things that we think of as ours, the Bible teaches they actually come from God. And those things are a gift, and, and anything can happen to take those away. Even the breath in our lungs is a gift from God. And, it, and if everything is a temporary gift, if everything is something that can disappear like that with one phone call, if everything can disappear as quickly as it came, then our success and our skills and our stuff and our status are terrible places to find our value. Because all of those things, they diminish. They fade and they vanish. The, the biggest towers, the most amazing ancient cities sit abandoned. The most valuable things we collect, our most prized possessions when we pass away, our kids sell them in an estate sale. If your identity is built on the things you have or the things you do, it only takes one car accident or economic downturn or breakup to destroy your value. But the promise of scripture is this, that God already has a name for us. That despite our ideas and our cultural ideas, especially in the West, that we should make our own name and be our own person and create our own life, despite those ideas, uh, the Bible argues we were never meant to make our own names. Because just like God had a purpose and a call and a plan for the tower builders in the plain of Shinar, he has one for us too. Uh, John 1 puts it this way, but it's, it's all over scripture. Uh, when uh, John is recapping what, what Jesus came to do, he says, those who received him, who received Jesus, those who believed his name, he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. When you know your name, it makes all the difference. Our culture tells us that we are supposed to define ourselves. We're supposed to be true to ourselves. We're supposed to market ourselves and sell ourselves and make something out of ourselves. And we're so desperate for significance to be remembered, to have a name that will do anything to accomplish that task. We look in all kinds of ways how to define ourselves, to make a name for ourselves. And good things the best provider or the best father or the best employee or smart, respected, good, beautiful, put together. We try and make these names for ourselves, but the abundance of the gospel is that God already has a name for us if we'll accept it. Our creator calls us daughter and he calls us son. And you don't have to build a tower to earn it. It's a gift freely given. 
You no longer have to fear losing the things that you're called to give when you embrace that name. When you embrace that name, you no longer have to fight to convince others or yourself that you matter because you already do. And then you can begin to see the value of others. You can begin to let go of the things that you hold on to so tight and give them and pour them out into the lives of the people that God puts in your path. And you start seeing your life as the gift that it is. We can start living out the purpose that God has for us instead of getting distracted running after our own name. Uh, Jesus says it this way. He says, seek first the kingdom and all else will be added to you. When we accept his name, we are free to chase after God's call, to love him, to love others, and to grow in being more like Jesus because we know what our name is. In a minute, um, we get to baptize baby Catherine and we baptize her into the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get a chance together to name her, to tell her who she is, even though she can't understand us or hear us. And that is uh, our job to keep doing. And as we make a promise of baptism, you're promising to keep telling Catherine and the kids and each other who they are as members of Christ. If we know what our name is, it makes all the difference. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you built the universe. You crammed it full of your creative energy and abundance. You made us in your image to rule over it on your behalf. And it's a beautiful thing. You've given us the skills, the abilities, the time, the situations. Uh, You've given us everything in our lives and you ask us, Lord, to trust you and pour those gifts out into the lives of others. Help us, O Lord, to remember who our Father is. Help us to remember the name that you've given us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.